Welcome, everybody, to this episode of the Tabletop Battlefield Live. I'm Jason, the creator of the Tabletop Battlefield. And sorry for that late start there. I now know what network error means, more or less, when I'm looking at my computer over here watching my feed that I'm monitoring. Apparently, network error means something's wrong with my stream and i got to restart my stream. <laughs> so, that's all taken care of. We can get the show finally started a few minutes late. So tonight, I'm going to continue the process here of painting Cypher, Lord of the Fallen, a Games Workshop miniature that was released earlier this year with the Triumphant of the Primarch, which was our last kind of big release before Warhammer 40k 8th edition. And I'll get started right off the bat by saying hi to Adam in the chat room here. He had a fancy title to publish, like, Evil Madman Publisher of the Golden D6 Magazine or something like that is what he likes to be called. But welcome to watching the show tonight, Adam. And before I get started, though, diving into uh, the blah, 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 whatever I'm talking about, painting stuff. And, if, of course, if you listen to this later on the Tabletop Battlefield feed, you can watch live over at twitch.tv forward slash rockerrobotics. And also, I was going to say, it's just in case you hear some weird beeping noises in the background, what's going on is I finally bought myself a desktop 3D printer. I've got a Ultimaker. So I'll be talking a lot more about this in the future, but doing a lot more videos about 3D printing. Here was just a very, uh, a first, one of the first prints I did was I got a very quick coat of paint on it. I got a lot more work on it. But this was a, a basic 3D print from the Ultimaker. But I'll be talking a lot more about 3D printing in future episodes. All right. So with that all out of the way, let's dive in here to painting up Cypher. And I think my topic for the day is I wanted to compare the games of Rune Wars, the new Fantasy Flights game, Regimental Combat, versus the now defunct Warhammer Fantasy Battles. They seem like they'd be kind of similar games, but they're really not. Of course, I have a lot of years playing Warhammer Fantasy Battles, and I finally got a little bit of experience with Rune Wars. This is not meant to be a review of either game. I have not played Rune Wars enough to do any kind of formal review of it. I just got a very basic understanding of how it works. And I got some of the miniatures, and I put together an army list sitting over here that I'll talk briefly about through this process. So I'm really just kind of taking a look at the different aspects of each game and seeing how they're similar and how they're different in case you're curious. Of course, if you're a former Warhammer Fantasy Battles player, how does Rune Wars kind of stack up relative to this game? Because they do kind of look the same. But let's go ahead and dive over here to our painting camera. What I'm going to be working on here today with Cypher is initially I want to finish up the little de various details I started painting. He's got little runes and markers across his armor here. I gave him a bit of a Dawnstone gray base to him last time. And then I'm going to dive in and start painting the back of his cloak. I won't begin on the inside of the cloak, just the back for now, because I don't actually have any red paint for the inside of his cloak. But I have the proper colors here for painting them on the back. All right. So let's me. Oops, you know what I didn't get? I didn't grab my wet palette, did I? That's probably sitting over here. I was using it to paint up that 3D printed terrain piece, and I left it over here back behind my setup. Let me run over there and grab that quickly. There we go. Okay. So I'm going to be taking my artificial layer brush. This is the artificial layer extra small brush. Fantastic, amazing, high-quality set of brushes. I think there's only one that's this quality, but it's well worth it. And I'm going to be working initially with Lead Belcher. This is a base color for, uh, it's kind of like a sil dark silver base color. I'm just going to put, ah, crud. I also need my water cup. Sorry. <laughs> I was rushing around the last moment here, trying to paint stuff up and get things ready, and I you know, apparently was only 
half ready for purposes of this particular video. So, okay. So, water cups in place, wet pallets in place. I think we're good to go. All right. For real this time, let's take some of the... Okay, I lied. This particular pod of lead belcher is empty. Let me get the actual one out. I don't know why I haven't thrown that one away yet. All right. Now, let's really get this sucker on the road. All right. Lead belcher. So I'm just going to water this down quite a bit. And I'm just going to try to add some highlights to the various gray parts that I painted last time. I don't want to completely cover his details and runes and things in silver. I still want some of the gray to show through. It's kind of getting the effect that there is a little bit of tarnish and a little bit of the luster worn off from the silver. So it's important to still have some of that just flat, boring old gray coming on through. And let's talk a little bit, like I said, about Rune Wars versus Warhammer Fantasy Battles. Of course, you know, Warhammer Fantasy Battles was a very long-standing game. It made it, oh, goodness, almost 30 years, I think, if not more than 30 years. But then, of course, a few years ago, Games Workshop went ahead and they kind of blew up the world and got rid of it and replaced it with Age of Sigmar. The obvious assumption there would be in that sales were not doing particularly great for Warhammer Fantasy Miniatures, and that's why they wanted to go ahead and try something different. But, you know, as I talked about last time during the financial episode where I was talking about the details in the most recent financial report, Games Workshop never specifically says how any given game line is doing in their financial reports. So anybody who says that, you know, so-and-so uh, -so game is not selling very well, that's either based on their own survey information, kind of hearsay, maybe they've heard it from a few different game sources, but, you know, a relatively incomplete data set, or there is a possibility that they've leaked it from GW, but that's highly unlikely. That kind of information is not something that we usually see leaked from Games Workshop. But then again, you know, we really have no idea. Even if it was leaked from Games Workshop, we don't really know um, like how reliable it could possibly be. You know, for example, if someone just says it's leaked from Games Workshop, we really have no way to verify that if it was or not. But anyway, so Rune Wars came out earlier this year. It was released around Adepticon time. I picked up the starter set, and I recently also purchased the army set for the Latari Elves, they're called. They're the kind of hippie, elvish, elvish, slightly arrogant elvish faction, the kind of stuff you see in pretty standard you know, games for any kind of Tolkien-esque fantasy setting. So I haven't played with the Elves yet. I've played with the starter set, but I will probably tomorrow play a game with the elves and see how they work. So in terms of game size, you know, they do kind of look the same. They're both regimental scale games. You got your rank and file troops lined up. This is one of those kind of things where, you know, people always want to know which game is actually cheaper. So-and-so game, is it actually cheaper than Games Workshop? And it's the usual answer where, well, it's cheaper with a really big asterisk to it, right? Games Workshop games, you need a lot of miniatures, at least with Warhammer Fantasy Battles, you really need a lot of miniatures to play them. I remember the standard Warhammer Fantasy game was, you know, 2,200, like 2,250 points, sometimes 2,500, minimum 1,850. It really depended on exactly what the tournament was. And I did a math a while ago, a couple years ago, when I was talking about 3D printing at a convention. I, I think my Lizardman army, that was like 2,500 points that I used in a local tournament scene here. Oh, I missed a rune, some runes over here, didn't I? 
I need to go back and fix that. Um, the arm, basically a basic tournament army that I used in the Great Lakes Warhammer League a number of years ago for my Legionmen. I think it was 2,500 points. It came out to be around five to six hundred dollars. I think it's like 650, but that was factoring in the rule books and the codexes and things. So you know, Warhammer Fantasy was notoriously expensive. Rune Wars, you know, it's it requires a lot less to play. That being said, you're not gonna want to you know just stick with the basic stuff that you need to play your standard game. You're obviously gonna spend a lot more. So I did some math over here. I put together a approximately a standard army list. They their standard army in Rune Wars is 200 points, but of course that's just arbitrary numbers. And 200 points, if how you can buy that is if both you and your buddy wanted to buy a starter set, and you know you kind of swap the pieces, so you would keep the Dacon Lords, you would keep the Ycar or whatever the other faction that comes in the starter set is named. You could then take those two starter sets, combine them together, and probably buy two more boxes of units to get a 200-point army. So that way, if you were to do that approach, you'd be looking at spending about $150 to get a standard, your minimum standard 200-point army list. If you didn't do that and had to buy your extra miniatures separately because you know you didn't have someone else to trade with, or there are advantages, Games uh, Fantasy Flight does have advantages to buying the said, you know, individual miniature packs. They actually come, I believe, with different cards than what comes in a starter set. So you, there's like an encouragement there for you to buy, you know, the start individual sets instead of just stocking up on the starter sets. That's a good move by their point, their point, their part, blah, blah, blah. Um... It would come to about $250-ish for a starter, for a typical army. So, cheaper, yes, but it's not super cheap. You can have a pretty nice experience right out of the box with the starter set, it seems like. It, it gives you a basic game. I don't, you know, you probably get bored with it pretty quickly, but you can have a halfway decent little battle right from, with just what comes in the $100 starter set, in case you happen to be curious about that. So all in all, Rune Wars is probably like I said, a little bit cheaper to get into, but if it's anything like the competitive X-Wing scene, it can get really expensive really fast. And the game hasn't been around long enough to know whether that happens, but there's been cases I I know from people who do competitively play X-Wing. I don't. I don't play X-Wing at all. But um, there's been cases where, you know, a, a expensive $100 miniature comes with a really powerful card, and people have bought four of those $100 miniatures to get four cards, which I think Fantasy Flight eventually nerfed because that's kind of silly. But, you know, <laughs> the point is if you, the competitive scene for Rune Wars will probably get very expensive very fast. So casual play might be cheaper than Warhammer Fantasy, but competitively, probably not, right? <laughs> so that, that's, that's that factor right there. Um, next up, we can talk about army construction, and we'll do that here just in a minute. So let me kind of hold this piece in place in Cypher and put them to the camera. Come on, focus on Cypher. There you go, camera. You can start to see you got a little bit of sheen going to each of his little runes there, but there's still a little bit of the flat gray showing through. Now I'm going to add even a little bit more highlights to them. I'm going to pull out my favorite color here. Seriously, this is Stormhost Silver. It's one of the more recent colors from Games Workshop Citadel Paint Line. I absolutely love this color. Not only is it great for um, putting on these armor thing and you know silver runes give them highlights, 
you can mix this thing into colors to give them really cool iridescent glows. If you watched my painting of Kairos Fate Lever early in the year, I used this all over that body of that demon to give various aspects, in particular his feathers, some just terrifyingly awesome iridescent glows. Like there's some sort of demonic power going on because, you know, he's Kairos Fate Lever and he's freaking awesome. Um, so yes, yeah, so this is Stormhouse Silver. It's really cool. So when it comes to army building in Warhammer Fantasy versus Rune Wars, there's a lot of similarities. You know, it's a pretty standard miniature game setup for both of them. Granted, Warhammer Fantasy kind of helped define that genre, but you know, you know, you got so many points to build a, a list with, and that's pretty much about it for Rune Wars. Rune Wars has cards. Each unit has a card. And there's different deployment options per se, so kind of like how with Warhammer Fantasy Battles, you kind of you had more f flexibility with that game. How big your unit was, you could kind of build your ranks and regiments however you wanted to. With Rune Wars, you choose from choose from about one of four different configurations. Each one's a little bit larger than the last, and therefore more expensive. But you can't, you don't have quite as much freeform ability to set up your blocks of troops the way you would in Warhammer Fantasy Battles. Another difference between Warhammer Fantasy and Rune Wars is there's no really force organization chart. Uh, granted, you know, Warhammer Fantasy didn't use that terminology. That was a Warhammer 40,000 terminology. But you still had different classes of units, and you could only put, you know, so much of a certain type of unit in your list. It was like, you know, 50%, you had to have like maybe... 25% core minimum, no more than 50% heroes, no more than 50% special troops, no more than 25% rare. So there were restrictions based on the troop type and how many points you could spend on those types of troops. I don't believe Rune Wars has that. It doesn't seem to be in the rule book. There are unique characters, so you can only have, you know, one unique character, but that's pretty standard. Um, upgrades, you know, both games had a lot of upgrade options. So there's not ter terribly different things there, per se. Though, Rune Wars does take the same kind of uh, upgrade approach as Armada or X-Wing does, in the sense that each unit type has kind of upgrade options to it. And depending, actually, on, on which regiment size you use, you get different sets of upgrade options. And you can assign upgrade cards that match those icons. It's, so therefore, it's not as freeform. Well, I guess in Warhammer Fantasy, you had a lot of upgrade options that were tied specifically to certain units. You don't have that in Rune Wars, but you have these icons. So if you played, for, uh, I've got so many games that toss it around in my head right now. If you played either Armada or X-wing, you'll find this army building system very much right at home. So let's talk about turn structure here in just a moment. We're going to move on to the next part of painting these little rune things here. I'll explain that whole process first. Then I'll dive into the turn structure of Rune Wars, and that's where it really starts to get different than Warhammer Fantasy Battles. All right. So what I'm going to do is I want to make these things kind of a little bit rusted, a little bit tarnished, and a little bit just dirty. So I'm going to use a combination of washes here to achieve that effect. First of all, I've got some Nun Oil Gloss. I love this stuff. This is 
the Citadel's shade paint line, and it darkens things down and still gives it a little bit of a like a glossy glow to it. Light reflects off it really nicely and things like that. So it's great for giving a dirty metallic look. So the, met the metal looks worn and dirty, but it still kind of shines like a metal might would. And then I'm also going to be using over here some of the Citadel Seraphin Sepia shade. This is another shade from Citadel's paint line. I'm going to use this to give it a bit of a brown tint to make the look kind of like there's a little bit of tarnish. Maybe there's somehow some kind of rusty effect going on in the silver. I don't know why that silver doesn't really rust, but maybe there's iron in there too because, sure, why not? <laughs> right? And I'm going to keep using my artificial layer extra small brush and in fact for the rest of this whole paint process I'm pretty certain I'm going to be using this brush anyway um, alrighty so let's go over here to the non oil gloss and having some fun with that so with when it came to Warhammer Fantasy Battles you know the turn structure was the whole you go I go thing that Games Workshop stuff were definitely known for and that is you know you move your entire army it does one thing, whether it's move, or does it shooting, or it's charging, or magic casting. And then you, you move on to your next phase. You, you take your entire turn before the opponent really doesn't get to react much. There might be a few items here and there that occur during, the opponent could do during your turn. But in general, there's not a lot of it. It's mostly you're taking your actions, and the opponent is kind of sitting there waiting for his turn probably rolling armor saves and dispel rolls and things like that. Alternatively, Rune Wars has a variation on the alternative activation system. Alternative activation being, you know, I take an action, you take an action, and we go back and forth until all of our units are activated. It uses an initiative system, so it's kind of similar to X-Wing in that regard, if you're familiar with how that game plays out, where every character every ship in the game had a pilot and a pilot's skill level determined when in the order it went so it's not a pure alternative activation because the fact that you could possibly have a situation where all of your units have a lower initiative than the opponent and they do that but what makes it different than X-Wing is that the unit itself does not have an initiative value you have pre- selected what you're going to do. So this is a pre-planning game. You have to choose all of your army's actions for that turn before anything gets revealed. So there's a planning phase here that both you and your opponent do. And every action that a unit can do has a distinct initiative value assigned to it. And this is actually quite important understanding the tactics of the game. Because not all attacks are equal, not all charges are equal. So it's quite possible that like a hero character might have an a attack initiative like three or four, where a normal unit might their attack initiative might be a five. Or you know, you might have a charge ability of like one of like a two, or maybe in the opponent has a charge ability of a four. And of course the lower initiative is gonna go first. So there's a very much of the tactics of this game are gonna revolve around knowing what your initiative values are for all your actions compared to what the opponent's initiative values are for their actions, especially when it comes to charging. Because if you blow that totally and where you choose a charge action and the opponent has a higher charge action or a better initiative on their charge action, it punishes you really bad. 
Uh, it happened to me a couple times. Um, plus, if you blow charges, there's definitely um, pen other penalties to it, so you really got to know this initiative stuff. And that's probably the biggest difference, I think, between... Let's... Yeah, I guess I mean, that's kind of that's probably the biggest difference between you know this game and Warhammer Fantasy Battles. You know, initi there's initiative played a role in Warhammer Fantasy Battles because when it came to combat time, who attacked first depending on your initiative value. It depends on what version you're playing. <laughs> I believe Eighth Edition, who the initiative, whoever had the initiative highest initiative value attacked first, regardless of charging or not. I think it was in Sixth or Seventh Edition. It was based on who charged as the one who fought first. There was a lot of weird, oh, weird things going on like that. Um, but they changed that from time to time. But I'm pretty sure in eighth edition it was whoever had the highest initiative value would attack first. But you know, like in Rune Wars, everything is driven by initiative value, not just combat. So you could very easily blow those options and screw things up really, really bad. <laughs> and yeah, I mentioned before I did that a few times. So, you know, because of that, you got to consider not as much stuff happens in a Rune Wars turn, because you can't really, I guess you can charge, but you, but you can't move and shoot, you can't move and use a, certain abilities. Uh, there's some guys who can move after they use abilities and things like that, but for the most part, less stuff is going to happen in a Rune Wars turn, because of this pre-planning and because you can only move or attack. So if you if you plan to move up but you get charged, you can't fight back, cause, right? Because your action you selected was march, and because you're now in combat, that's canceled. So there's so like I said, it's definitely there's a lot to this whole planning out these initiative values and know when things are going to occur and what people expect to do, and try to anticipate what your opponent's going to do. So let's we can move on to talking about movements as I kind of start diving into game structure now. The reality is they're kind of effectively the same because um, it's really about trying to capture that feel of large regimental blocks marching along the battlefield. And there's just tons of systems for doing this, and they're all a little bit different. Warhammer Fantasy was purely about measuring out inches, and you had to do wheeling where you'd kind of rotate your the base of your regiment and measure how far linearly the back of your unit would move which was kind of screwy because you were using a straight edge ruler to try to measure uh, you know, a slightly curving distance. So it was never a great way of doing things, but it's what they did. Um, other games since then have tried to use movement templates. Arcane Legions had kind of this weird turning template thing they would use. And then, you know, Rune Wars comes along and they also have movement templates. They're more or less very, very similar to what you have in X-Wing. I don't think there's quite as many templates in this as there are in X-Wing, but I really don't know off the top of my head. Like I said, I haven't played X-Wing in a few years. But you have that same kind of thing. You move forward. They're marked off how far you can move forward. You have you know sharp turns. You have a slightly, a slightly less sharp turn, like a 45-degree turn, a 90-degree turn, things like that. Um... And such. So you do have. So you have you have a very similar thing to X-wing, and 
it works for the most part. Where it gets screwy is with individual models. If I recall correctly with Warhammer Fantasy Battles, individual models could kind of turn on the spot and then run in some straight direction. At least I think that that's how I played them. <laughs> that, that may have been wrong, but that's what I was doing. Even the big like Stegodon could turn in spot, turn in a spot, and charge into somebody. Um, you can't quite do that in Rune Wars. I mean, you you have the ability to do a reform action, which was the same kind of thing you had in Warhammer Fantasy, where you'd be able to turn your guy to face any direction. So, but that also applies not only to regiments, but also your individual characters. So it, it's kind of difficult to charge the enemy sometimes with an individual character unless you have a nice straight lineup. Like I, my, I was playing the Dakin Lords in the one game. I had Carrie Rafestalker. She's a hero character for the Dakin or Dokken or what, however you pronounce their names um, in the starter set. And you know, if she, she can't. She needed to really just turn just a little bit and then charge in, but she had to do like this two-turn sweeping arc movement that was felt very, very clumsy. I didn't really like that aspect of it. Maybe I'm doing something wrong with individual characters, but I don't think so. But in the for the most part, though, aside from that, it movement is effectively the same as Warhammer Fantasy. You're just a different way to get a you know the same result. All right, so there we go. We got a little bit of a brownish, goldish, rusty tint-looking thing to his runes. I like that. That's kind of what I'm going for. Just a very, very faint tinning effect. And I also be sure to got the same ones over here on his arms. I really like that. That's looking really cool. Uh, the bottoms all got a little bit of that nun oil gloss on them. So the bottoms of the runes do look a little bit, a little bit more silver, a little bit darker. It gives them, it gives them a very nice, just not super clean look. This clear, you can get the idea that there's clearly, this is an old suit of armor that he's been wearing for 10,000 years, assuming this is still the same cipher from 10,000 years ago. Alright, let me start working on his cloak. I'm going to initially start with some, what is this, linen white from Reaper's Master Series. I've really become a fan of this particular shade of white. It's a little bit of an off-white color, so it's not pure bright white color which is perfectly fine because the thing you I've learned from doing digital painting with my Caladagia arts Caladagia artwork and things is bright pure white is not something that really occurs naturally or really even in clothing per se bright white is really that light you see if you're to stare off the reflection of sunlight off a car and you get that painful bright light coming back at you that is pure white so by using this linen white as kind of my base white color, I still have a little bit of room. I can add some really bright highlights to it if I want to. And being white, I've got it thinned down a fair amount. So I'm going to end up putting several layers of this linen white color down on his cloak. Because just trying to paint white, I find, never seems to work too well. You know, if you, if you try to put it on in one thick layer, it really does a fantastic job of showing your brush strokes. You really have to use you know, the multiple thin layer approach with this color if you really want to make sure you can't see brush strokes on you know, your miniature. So let's see, I left off, I was talking about movement. So let's move on to magic. Let's just keep going in the order 
that Warhammer Fantasy used because you know you had the movement phase initially, also charge phase in there, charge sub phase or whatever the heck it was in whatever edition you're playing. But then you had um, the magic phase. Now in Rune Wars doesn't have a magic phase because you know the whole alternate actions thing. So far, magic is not nearly as prevalent in Rune Wars as it got in say Eighth Edition or even worse in 7th edition, where you had some armies that were generating like 50 magic dice and could just cast spells into oblivion. But even in 8th edition, Warhammer Fantasy Battles, there are some pretty powerful spells. I know there's some I didn't like, because they really just ripped through units of low initiative, i.e. my Cyrus Warriors and Temple Guard. And if those things went off, it was goodbye 500 to 700 point unit on the tabletop, pretty much. <laughs> I'm looking at you pit of shadows and the freaking dark shadow magic thing or whatever it was. But, so, the starter set for Rune Wars doesn't have a wizard in it. You may consider the ability that the giant worm thing has is magical. I don't know exactly what it is. So there aren't really core rules for like a spell phase or spell casting, per se. There is a wizard in the game. He comes in the command infantry command pack for the Dokken Lords. I don't have that pack yet, so I'm not too sure exactly how he works. But I would imagine um, you know, any kind of magical abilities he has are gonna be reflected as some sort of attack. Like, you know, a fireball would be a ranged attack, very similar to, you know, what an archer might have, but there's maybe some special rules to make it be magical or something like that. Units have skills they can use, so you'll see this on a lot of the unit dials, there's a basically a symbol that lets them use a skill, and the skill will be dictated then on that unit's card. So maybe if the wizard has a non-combat spell, it'll probably appear as a skill, and to use it, you would select that um, you know, that skill card or whatever, or you know you select the skill action, and then you look at the card to figure out what that is. It may also be that the skill can be called a modifier, because there's an idea of modifiers and actions. Actions is what your guy is doing. Modifiers is something that alters how that action works. But there are some units which can take a um, action as a modifier. So what would happen is you perform one action, then immediately perform another follow-up action. So it's possible a wizard might work that way, so he can move and then maybe cast healing or cast a fireball or do something like that. There's, you know, there's plenty of ways that magic can be integrated into Rune Wars. It's just not immediately. Oops, I just put. Oh, fudge. I just put my hand in the wet uh, paint of this cloak. But um, there's, it's just not quite as immediately dominating, for lack of a better phrase as it is with Warhammer Fantasy Battles, to where it's Warhammer Fantasy Battles, magic is really an integral part of your army. You had to be able to not only cast spells, but also you had to be able to dispel them, otherwise you'd be in a lot of trouble. Now, there is another aspect of magic to Rune Wars that isn't directly tied to spell casting. They have these little runes. The idea is, is that the magic in the environment, which is there, is constantly shifting around and it affects how certain units work. So at the start of each turn, whoever the active player is, uh, will go ahead and, or whoever the first player for that turn really is, is not really, active player isn't a, really the, the right word to use, who would have, in the event of a tie, 
between initiative values who would be the first player. They have these five little card uh, punch-out cardstock token things, chipboard, chipboard tokens, and you toss those on the table, and they come up with different colored symbols. And various units will have powers and abilities and things that are affected by however many number of those symbols are showing up. So like the basic skeletons can resurrect guys equal to how many green symbols are showing up. My rune golem, which is the gigantic rock thing, I'll probably paint him up on this channel later. His movement as well as his damage can be affected by how frequently blue and red symbols show up on these little things. So there is this kind of randomness, magical nature to each turn, and that affects certain units. Most units are probably not really affected by that, but some some are. So you got to kind of factor that thing into your overall strategic plan if you're bringing those units to the tabletop. So that's all about magic there. We can talk about combat, because combat, of course, is the next big thing. With Warhammer Fantasy Battles, you had situations where, you know, you would, um, combat was divided into two phases. You had range combat, then you had your up-close combat where you're beating the crap out of each other. You still, of course, have range combat as well as melee combat in Rune Wars, but they're not distinct phases. Once again, it goes back to the whole initiative action thing. So every unit has their combat ability. Some have both melee and ranged. Some only have melee. Well, yeah, some only have melee. I don't know of any that only have ranged, just because if you you can't use you know ranged combat in close combat. So if you had a ranged guy that was only ranged and he got into combat, well, he's kind of screwed. And you know that's not really good game design. <laughs> So, I'm pretty sure all the guys that have uh, ranged combat do have um, some form of, you know, melee combat. It's not good. It's usually like one die and usually a crummy die. And it may also be like a low initiative. I know like the um, the standard elves, the Latari elves, their combat ability is initiative 9, which is basically horrendous. And because you know they're they're intended to be archers, so if you get them in combat, they can kind of fight, but they're really not that good, and they go they possibly could die pretty badly before you actually get to that whole combat phase to begin with. Because pretty much everyone else who has a melee weapon does not have initiative nine melee weapon. But there are a lot of differences in com with combat between Warhammer Fantasy Battles and Rune Wars. And there are a lot. It's not just simply dice roll. Well, it is simply dice rolling. But how you roll the dice and how those things play out are a heck of a lot different. So we'll talk a lot about that right now. Warhammer Fantasy Battles was really a like dice bucket game. You know, people say like a bucket of dice game is what they, is the, the terminology they like to use, where you just have these giant pools of dice and you roll them all at once. Any count successes, roll more stuff, more successes, blah, blah, blah. Keep doing that again and again and again. Rune Wars is definitely not that. So, whereas a tactic of Warhammer Fantasy was to build your units such that you could get as many dice as possible, that isn't really a thing in Rune Wars. Every unit, regardless of how many soldiers that are in that regiment, roll the same amount of dice. 
But here's where things get different. Like I said, in you know Warhammer Fantasy Battles, in general, more soldiers meant more dice, depending on what edition you're playing. Uh, like eighth edition, you could have your your guys in the second rank got a, a single attack to contribute. Um, you had situations where if your regiment was so many troops wide, you got an extra rank to fight. So there were different incentives in Warhammer Fantasy to try to get you to build regiments such a, such a way to maximize the amount of dice you're rolling. But in Rune Wars, you have the concept of threat, and then you have re-rolls. The more models you have in your front rank, increase, well, technically the more trays, I should talk about, we'll talk about that in a bit, trays versus models, that's something different in Rune Wars and Warhammer Fantasy Battles. Um, the more trays you have in the front rank, increases your threat value. So even though you roll the same amount of dice, regardless of how many models you have in your front rank, what your threat value does is it increases the damage any given hit on the die makes. So if you have a threat of one and you roll a hit, you do one damage to the enemy. If you roll two hits, you do two damage. Now, one second. <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> With Rune Wars, if you have your, like I so said, I was talking about Rune Wars, it wasn't I. I sneeze and I totally lose track of what I was thinking. That's fantastic. Now, um, if you have a threat of two in Rune Wars and you roll one hit, you now do two damage. Threat of three and roll one hit, that's three damage. So there's a, you're, you do, larger units don't just roll more dice, they actually do more damage outright. So it just makes things much more brutal. And in fact, there's actually an ability called Brutal, which increases your threat level, depending on, you know, how, how things are going. So, like I think like my my rock golem guy, he gets lots more threat value based on those those runes I was talking about a few minutes ago. So you know what you've got here then is a, is a way to increase the sheer number of damage you're doing by simply uh, adding more models to your front rank. Which compared to Warhammer Fantasy, this tends to get more destructive results. Whereas, you know, if you're just rolling more dice, you tend to get more average results over time, but, you know, you, the likelihood of getting, like, a really brutal roll is pretty, isn't going to be a lot more rare because you're rolling more dice, whereas with Rune Wars, the likelihood of getting a brutal roll goes up much faster with a larger threat unit because, you know, the probability of number of hits you're going to score isn't changing, but you know each hit is that much more powerful, and I know I saw this before with Warhammer Fantasy Battles. That whole you know, granted, like is it averaging out when you roll lots of dice, you should get a relatively average roll most of the time. But if it comes, if powerful rolls come at inopportune times, well, that can be game over. When I talk about that Great Lakes Warhammer League event that I was playing in years ago, I had my lizardmen on the table, my Temple Guard charged into my opponent's, what did he have? Imp Empire Halberd troops, I think they were. And then he had some other unit that was also fighting me. He rolled about one-third below average. I rolled one-third above average. And that those two statistically improbable rolls 
resulted in basically his guys just getting annihilated, chased off the table, and brutally murdered by a bunch of dinosaurs. Uh, and that more or less won me the game. So, lots of dice, well in theory they should give you average rolls. When they don't, they tend to produce just very, very brutal results. Whereas Rune Wars, by doing this multiplication thing, the more brutal results are really more of your choices and how you build your army than the fact that it's just kind of luck that happens. So it's kind of interesting they chose that route. Now let's talk about rerolls, because I mentioned that too in terms of rolling the dice. Because, you know, in Warhammer Fantasy, additional ranks meant that you more or less not only got more hit points to your units, but you got mostly more attacks. There were other you know, special abilities and bonuses depending on what unit you had. But in Rune Wars, more ranks is results in allowing you to make re-rolls of your attack dice. So therefore, you don't, you're not rolling additional dice, but now you can re-roll ones you don't like, so in theory you can get a little bit more consistency to your rolling. You know, re-rolls are never a guarantee, but if you roll a blank on the hit dice, you can go ahead and pick that one up and re-roll it. So it's it's nice like that to where you get ways of amplifying your firepower really easily, and you also get ways of making your attacks more consistent. It's really your choice. I should say choice is in quotes there because in general you don't. It's not like it when you build your army. You don't really choose between more ranks and more or a bigger front line. You kind of evolve through both those up over time. You, if you look at the cards, you'll see what I mean. But it's not like where Warhammer Fantasy you could choose between having a wide front but a few ranks or a narrow front with lots of ranks. You can't do that. At least so far, you can't do that with um, what's in the starter set for Rune Wars. It's possible maybe the individual unit cards, they could have you know different, different unit cards for the same like Spearman or whatever that lets you have different build options, and maybe that's in the, the individual packs. I'm not really sure. That'd be kind of cool to see. Um, but I don't know that. For, I don't know that. That'd just be a way they could implement that kind of a feature. Where was I going with that? I don't remember. <laughs> but yes, that's the point. So dice rolling is definitely very different in Rune Wars as compared to Warhammer Fantasy Battles. Also, Rune Wars doesn't use standard dice, it uses, you know, a variation of the descent dice system. If you've played anything by Fantasy Flight over the past few years, except um, Armada and X-Wings, they don't do this. And if you played any of the fantasy games from Fantasy Flight games, you know, like Descent, uh, Star Wars, Rebellion, or what else were we playing that recently had this? I don't know. But they, also, they have the idea of surges or lightning bolts. You see those on a lot of the custom dice you roll those, and where those don't necessarily do hits, but they trigger special abilities on your card, and you can spend them to do cool things. So, if you're familiar with Descent, Journey into the Darkness, either edition, or Imperial Assault, that's what that's a Star Wars game. Also, the new Star Wars Legion uses this too. You've got those kind of dice going on, so it's not standard D6s like Warhammer Fantasy is. You know, that's one of those things, it's a personal choice, I personally am not a big fan of custom dice, because you know what? That lets the company sell you something else. <laughs> and they're usually pretty darn expensive because they're a gaming accessory. Right? Um, 
those those devils trying to make additional money like that. Whereas you know the D sixes, you can pretty much just do whatever you want. Uh, I, I put my finger in his cape again. I really should have something on his feet to where I can hold it, so I'm not always touching his cape. That's because it's drying. But that's a short short answer. Rune Wars has their custom dice to it. So let's move on to the last big thing, and then I'll talk about that trays thing. And I should have mentioned about that back during army construction, but did I write it out in my notes? I did not. Oh wait, yes, no, I did not. <laughs> I have notes on the wall here that are that are kind of I'm using to guide my conversation with myself at the moment. Um, and I didn't actually mention the whole using trays versus miniatures thing. That is actually really important for Rune Wars. But psychology, this is really the last big thing. In Warhammer Fantasy Battles, psychology was based, was more or less you ran away. There were certain situations where with fear and terror, you didn't really necessarily run away, but you couldn't fight as well. But for the most part, if you failed the psychology role, your guys ran away, and hopefully, big hopefully there, the enemy didn't chase you down and brutally kill you. Rune Wars is quite a bit different. You get these panic tokens in general for various things. Um, combat can cause them. You can, if you screw up charges, you can get them that way. Other situations, special abilities that enemies can afflict on you can cause them. But either way, what tends to happen is then if a panic token is available at the end of a fight, you can initiate a psychology check on your enemy. By spending those tokens or by spending dice rolls or whatever it may be, and there is a deck of psychology cards, kind of similar to the damage deck concept from, like, you know, Armada or X-Wing, and sits off to the side. And you draw a number of cards equal to how many panic tokens that are available for you to spend. And each psychology card has a cost value to it in terms of the number of panic tokens. And then you, as the attacker, can choose which one of these cards to apply. There, You know... It's quite possible that you may have one panic token available and you draw only cards that cost two. So you can't always, you know, inflict the psychology check, but if you buy you then buy the card and apply that effect to the unit. And they're all over the board. They could be things like give them more panic tokens. It could be something like they run away. They could actually turn on themselves and attack them and do damage to themselves. That's kind of brutal. It's called like a traitor card. So there actually is stuff like that. So the psychology is a lot more varied. The one thing I don't think you'll be seeing a lot of is running away. There's only a few cards in there like that actually are a runaway card where the enemy can basically take control of the unit and force them back. So whereas in Warhammer Fantasy, running away was kind of a major part of the game, it's not so much in Rune Wars. Uh, I have to see as time goes on and I play more games how frequently it occurs, but for the most part, it really feels like most melee engagements are going to be a battle to the death. But, you know, like I said, it's there's going to be a couple times per game probably where somebody runs away. And it's it's up to you whether you like that or not. I'm the old curmudgeon who likes psychology to cause his units to run away and panic instead of to straight up die. But... <laughs> I've decided that that's not how the game industry is going these days. But that's all on the topic altogether. But the moral of the story is psychology in Rune Wars is quite a bit different than how it works inside 
a Warhammer Fantasy battle. So that's something that's very different between the two games. Now let me t- dive back into talking about that whole idea of trays versus a miniature, so that is kind of important. In Warhammer Fantasy Battles, you had a your front rank was as wide as the number of miniatures that it occupied or that occupied it. So if you had six miniatures across, you had a six miniature wide front rank. In Rune Wars, all the units are mounted on trays. All the trays are the same size, regardless of what unit or what miniature is sitting on those trays. However, like a giant monster, for example, the rune golem or the walking trees that the elves have, those guys, they have one miniature per tray, whereas your kind of your standard soldiers have four miniatures per tray. So when it comes to calculating the size of your front rank in terms of your threat value, as well as when it comes to figuring out how many ranks you have for purposes of rerolls, you don't count the number of miniatures or the how many ranks of miniatures. You count ranks of trays. And when you remove casualties, you remove them from one tray until all the models from that tray are removed. And then once that happens, you go ahead and you remove that tray from your unit. Which is, it's a little bit of a messy process to do that because the trays actually interlock together like puzzle pieces. So they can be a little tricky to remove without messing your unit up too bad. But it's an important concept just to be aware of if you're used to playing Warhammer Fantasy Battles and you've got to count trays, not ranks of miniatures. Because it's very easy to screw that up and think that you've got so many ranks and you really don't because what you should be counting are the trays, and therefore you really have half as many ranks as you think you do, and stuff like that. But all in all, that's a pretty good overview of the two game systems, or how they compare to each other anyway. I'll see how often I end up playing uh, Rune Wars. I'm pretty sure I'm going to play it at least once tomorrow night. And it's one of my friends who used to play Warhammer Fantasy Battles. He wants to try out the elves. That's kind of the faction he's interested in. I think the elves are kind of my most favorite faction. The humans... So so far, what we've got in terms of the different factions in the game... I should mention, this game is the Rune-bound universe. Is that what Fantasy Flight calls it? That's what Descent is set in. So this all ties in to the Descent franchise, for those of you who've played that game. Um, I, I'm, it's, it's one of those things where I'm pretty certain I recognize some of the names from Descent, I think, but you know, I haven't played Descent in a few years, in a few, few okay, maybe like a year. But um, So it's one of those kind of things where some of the names do sound familiar, but maybe not. I think Lord Hawthorne, I want to say he's a character in Descent. He's one of the special characters available for the Dakin Lords. I think I, I think I played as him in Descent. I really do because the the artwork looks familiar, but I could be wrong. I have to dive into Descent to find out. But I'm pretty sure he's one of the hero characters from Descent. But regardless, um, the four factions are the Dakin Lords. Dakin Lords, they're the kind of loose alliance of all the different human groups, and they're currently fighting against Wycar. Is that who it is? Some, it starts with a W. It's like Y-Car, Y-Cat, something like that. They're the undead monsters. You have the Locusts. They have a different name, but they're kind of the Locusts. I think they're called the Locusts in general. They're your demons. So they look have a bit of a Cornish look to them, as in, you know, demons of corn. Um, 
And then finally you have the Latari Elves, which are more or less your pretty run-of-the-mill elves. They're a little bit different, though. They ride cats, which is freaking awesome. <laughs> they're like these saber-toothed cat things going on they're riding on. So they're a little bit different than your typical um, elves. They're very arrogant for the most part. Well, a lot of them are. The main character you get in the, in the set, Alania Summersong, I think is her name, she wants to make an alliance with the humans to fight the locust and the other evil creatures when some of the elves don't, other elves don't want to. So you have that dynamic going on there, the whole elf versus human rivalry and all that fun stuff. Um, but all in all, the factions are pretty run of the, so far pretty run-of-the-mill standard fantasy, which, you know, if you like that, then fantastic. If you don't, then, well, not so fantastic, right? But that's just a matter of opinion whether you, you like that kind of style. It's still very Tolkien-ish at the moment. There isn't anything too crazy or different that I can see. Uh, but, you know, I've only read the few short stories and histories that are inside the rule book. There's only, you know, maybe 10 pages-ish total of fluff so far. But we'll see how things go. They could definitely introduce some other factions. There's talk, and you know, they, they mentioned, I think, the lizard men and dragon men in some of the histories of Descent, so I really want those guys to show up. <laughs> I want dragons in general. I love dragons, if you haven't put that together with the whole Irrigal Empire and Kaladagian things. <laughs> if you haven't noticed, all my games, if Lizardmen are an option, I play as Lizardmen. Um, there's reasons for that. I just love those kind of things. So we'll probably see some more stuff in the future if the game carries on. It's been out now for four or five months. You know, we have no idea really how well it's doing. They, Fancy Flight's still got stuff coming out, and presumably we're going to see releases at least through the end of the year. I don't know, I don't really pay attention to the tournament scene, I'm not sure if there's any tournaments around here, per se, but that, you know, just because a game is doing good or bad around here doesn't reflect its overall status. I believe they gave the game away in the Adepticon, like, swag bag you could buy, so they got a lot of the starter sets out there. I have no idea how well that worked for them. The one, my one guy that I knew who got the swag bag sold the game, <laughs> so um, he wasn't interested in it. But it's you know it's just a way to get your game out there, which is a very important thing to do as a game development people. Even Fancy Flight, just because you have a big name like Fancy Flight, you still got to convince people to try the game. It's really it's like freaking pulling teeth to get people to try games. Trust me. Uh, <laughs> Someday we should talk about marketing on this show. I think I might have done the Kaladasia Live talking about marketing, but I don't think I've talked about the tabletop battlefield stuff before. But regardless here, I've been, gone, I've been paying this guy for almost an hour after the late start of the technical issues. We're, start, we're finally, after like four or five coats of white, we're getting a relatively even coat here for his cloak. I probably should have let it these layers start to dry now, and then I can go back over them with another thin layer to really hide any remaining brush strokes. So it'd be a good idea to let that go for now. I still got to paint the things in front anyway. So here we go. We're make oh, and I got to get this thing all painted up too. I forgot about this side. But we're making progress here on Cipher. So I'm in now about two hours of painting. I don't know what I'm going to talk about in the next episode. I'm thinking I might dive into. Dealing with, um, maybe I'll do my kind of 2017 overview of 3D printing as it relates to the tabletop game industry. Like I said, I'm going to be talking a lot more about 3D printing. 
in the near future. In case you're wondering, I think I mentioned Ultimaker. That is an FDM printer. That's the one where it kind of just deposits things layer by layer and goes up. It's not the really cool, awesome SLA printers that I want to get, but are three times the cost is the one I bought. <laughs> so we will see if I ever get around to getting one of those, because those might be good enough for making Caladagia greens and things, and you may, you really might be able to get GW Forge World quality out of those things, maybe. And if not, very soon you probably will be able to. So those, those are the things that are really going to be interesting from a tabletop game perspective. The FDM printers, not so much. They're great at terrain. They look pretty good in terrain. You can't really see layer lines very easily from, you know, more than, you know, really up close anymore. Or you got to hold them at a weird angle to see the light reflecting off the layer lines. But you're, with a, for the near future with these FDM printers, you're not making miniatures out of them. They're just not good enough for that yet because they just kind of droop and do weird things. But the SLA printers, you might be able to do that. We'll see. That technology is coming along very nicely. But, you know, if you really want to get high-quality miniatures made, send them off the Shapeways. They're the ones who have the six-figure, super expensive printers, and they're amazing. It's expensive, but granted, 3D printing the SLA stuff at home is still pretty expensive as it is. But anyway, all right, so with all that out of the way, I want to thank you guys for watching here. If you're listening once again over on the Tabletop Battlefield feed, you can find me live on twitch.tv forward slash rocker robotics, and you can go here, follow me, and... Just get notifications whenever I go live. This tabletop battlefield stuff, I just kind of jump on whenever I have a free hour or two. Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, which is right now GMT minus 4 until the end of October. That is when I do Caladagia Live, where I talk about my Legends of Caladagia tabletop game, as well as things about that universe. And sometimes I dive a little bit more into the business of tabletop game design and things like that. Right now I've been doing a lot with working on and creating costumes for a short film that I plan to film next year for the Caladagia universe. And of course, I'm still over at Twitter at TT underscore Battlefield. Not much tabletop game related stuff there, period. It's basically me yelling at various government organizations anymore. <laughs> Come on, TSA, approve my Part 107 license. Um, <laughs> so, with that out of the way, I want to thank you guys all for watching. Once again, I'm Jason. Have a good night.